0: Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O podcast.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the H2O podcast. Um, there's Tim. <laughs> yeah, um, I see. I'm not sure
0: what I'm seeing when I look at your yeah,
1: screen there. I, my um, I'm. My camera... Okay, so here's what happened. Just as we're getting ready to go on the air, we hit go live everywhere, and the signal is streaming out, and suddenly we lost our internet here. And... Then I had to completely reboot the router over there, and I had to restart various different things and try to reconnect various different things. And then OBS crashed and now it's back, <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't, I know my camera's not on. Okay. Well, but the thing is, is that this it's is not that your strange. camera
0: isn't, it's not that your camera isn't on. There's an image there. Do you see, do you see it? What do you see? I see this weird sliver of angles that looks like some sort of mechanical thing over on the right side of this your screen. I also see that our image is really fuzzy.
1: Um, I mean, it's you're you're not fuzzy on my end.
0: Well, and um, I'm not fuzzy through my uh, uh, my looking at as I'm looking at it through Zoom here. Yeah. Um, but that could just could be. A weird thing, God only knows, but it looks like maybe you've got something <laughs> covering the camera that you're that that is being shown on the particular yeah I,
1: I don't know screen. because the two okay, so the camera that I have here at the desk is a logitech webcam, and the one that we have for the bump shot off the floor is also a logitech web camera. And then mm. the one that I've got hanging up there off the rafter for the other bump shot, that's also a Logitech web camera. None of them are working. They're, they're on, but OBS is not seeing them, <laughs> so so I'll hide behind a photograph today. Welcome, everybody. This is the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. I am Timothy Harvey. Uh,
0: <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is <laughs> Timothy Harvey, and welcome. To the H2O podcast.
1: <laughs>
0: That's my little NPR slash British accent.
1: Well, uh, you know, out of out of us, you know, it's funny you should mention that because out of everybody that has been a contributor on the staff here in recent years, one thing that I had said to Mindy on a number of occasions is if we ever did any kind of an NPR type of thing that you and Maya had the NPR voices, <laughs> so one of these days.
0: Uh... So, so there's an interesting thing, and and it actually ties into what we're talking about tonight. Um, so NPR voices, <clears throat> um, or that that just sound that that the kind of thing that we've all come to expect, and of course it's it's actually flowed into genre uh, audio podcasts when it comes to. Uh, There's a couple of different horror podcasts that use the sort of um, I'm I've got a podcast show and and the events of my podcast show lead me to the supernatural and and terrible things happening to people and uh, you see it in in shows like Serial, of course, the the hugely popular podcast. Oh, there you are. There I am. I see you again. but there's a certain there's a certain evenness to the tone there's a certain cadence there's a certain um, level yeah where your voice doesn't particularly go really loud or really soft it's pretty much across the board and one of the things that you end up finding with that is how we listen to the way people talk influences A lot of different things and this particular style sounds um reassuring and informative it's an educational sound it's the sound of you know you you, um whether it's true or not it's a reliable (laughs) tone right so people people can people listen to that sort of that sort of delivery right and it feels like it it, it has an authoritative sound and if you go back and you look at some of the the major broadcasters um the the great newsmen and women of of you know throughout really you know you look at Barbara Walters you look at um you know uh
1: David Brinkley David Walter Brinkley Conkite. you look at, you
0: look at a lot of these folks it's <clears throat>
1: so although, much of how they although Walter Winchell did not have the calm, relaxed, soothing. No, but Walter
0: Winship was, it was a different time. Uh, and, and there was, there was some of those stories where you, you could really tell the, the emotion there really delivered it as well. But we also come down to the, how the voices sound when it comes to accent. And interestingly enough, um, there's a reason why we have so many Canadians. <laughs> who become an American TV stars because they're not too bad at giving what is considered to be the neutral right accent. right. And so for American audiences, you also get this a lot in the Midwest actually um, because there's a sort of you don't have you don't have the the, the sounds of say the East Coast or mm-hmm. the sounds of the West coast. you have this more general kind of, of in-between,
1: you don't sound it, it, like you're from somewhere,
0: right? Yeah. And and what what actually ends up working with really well is that it becomes very, almost, um, you un- and almost a universal American sound that plays well. Yeah. On the East Coast, it plays well on the West Coast, North, South, wherever you want to go. But it's not one of those things where you sound like you're talking from your you know or whatever. I mean, you know, pick like a. <laughs> yeah because because with the size of the US the way that that it it's easy to forget except for like the exaggerations like I just did mm. that the sound of the american voice the, the 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 accents we have across the country is it's i mean it's a big place voices sound different yeah. All over the country. Yeah. And, and that's perfectly understandable because
1: I went, that's how po- accents work. I, I, okay. So I grew up in, in the Dallas area. And when I went off to college, I went to Oklahoma city for a couple of years for college mm-hmm. and started in broadcasting there. And it was real interesting because about I want to say late, yeah, I may may have been my sophomore year. Uh, it might have been my freshman year. I can't remember that far back sometimes. But the, my my fellow radio students were surprised to learn that I was from Texas because. You don't sound like you're from Texas. I was like, "Well, what is what is it that I'm supposed to sound like, y'all? I mean, you know, you have that you have that traditional Southern J.R. Ewing type of drawl that people associate with Texas, right. and sure. and if you get down into the Deep South, it's even more pronounced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I always thought it was interesting because I've never made any kind of effort to not sound like i'm from texas i mean it wasn't any kind of a of a of an affectation that this is what i sound like because i deliberately choose to sound like this sure this is just how i this is what i sound like and i find it interesting because i listen you you listen to my my mother my dad my sister they all sound like they're from the south um my mother my mother told the story one time she went to visit boston and she gets on the streetcar in boston and she i she said something to the guy who was or was a bus or a streetcar or something and the operator looked at her and said you're not from around here are you she's what makes you say that <laughs> of course she's deep south arkansas And doesn't she doesn't doesn't realize that she's got a a dialect that that Southern, you know, what you would consider the Southern. Uh, So it's real interesting that 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 kind of thing, because the only thing that I can think of is you had, you know, Christopher mentions Hugh Downs, having that uncle, that voice, you know, the the favorite uncle that just kind of gives you that comfort like what you're talking about with, right. with NPR. And I grew up watching a lot of television and watched the news on occasion, watched Nightline. And, of course, you know, Nightline got started with all of the hostage thing back in 1979. So it was something that people were watching. And so I, I would guess maybe... That and listening to radio and and practicing the DJ thing might have sure. done something. I don't know, but I never really said, "Well, I have to, I have to make sure that I don't sound like I'm from Texas because they'll think I'm a hick or something." You know, it, it was never, never any kind of a conscious thing. But like, you don't, you don't sound like you're from Texas. <laughs> what, what am I supposed well, to I, sound like?
0: Well, I think that's what, what's interesting is that. Uh, obviously, you know, the more you move around, the more you absorb the sounds of the places you are. And if if you're in a place for long enough, you pick up this because you're listening to those sounds all the time. And if someone says a word a certain way, you end up picking that up. And so you can have folks who, you know, born and bred in this part of the country or that part of the country, move to another part and their vocal patterns start to shift and if you go overseas and you stay, you know, in the UK or you stay in, in uh, France or, or, or Italy or, or, you know, South Africa, Australia, you start to pick up the way that the people talk around you because that's how human brains and language work. Right. But there are certain sounds in language that evoke certain reactions and... <laughs> The British accent lends itself very well to comedy, yes. Um, but also very, very well to villainy.
1: You know, I wonder if this is a parallel because we've talked on a number of occasions about how how comedy and horror have the same kind of beats, right? You know the the jump scare and the and mm-hmm. the relaxation and the moment of that kind of thing but you're right vil- villainy just in a broad sense you could probably name half a dozen villains and they're all British Easily.
0: well and interestingly enough there's been research done on this and we're getting some weird color stuff Yeah in my it's image it's here.
1: I I think it's my internet connection I'm gonna. I think I'm going to end up having to take this box in because they only live for so long No yeah, that's true so, so There's been actual research done on
0: this and as to why the British accent is so good for bad guys. (laughs) Linguists have looked at this. Yeah. And some of it, folks, history matters. There literally is a holdover from being the colonies. (laughs) The whole, literally, the War of Independence. That honestly does factor into one of the reasons the British accent. We have which, a cultural v- a vision of being, you know, fighting against yeah. the British with, with which the Revolutionary War. It's
1: kind of funny when you stop and think about it, because back then everybody yeah. had the same, I and mean, we we were all British back then. We and, were all and, British. And well, but
0: but the thing is, okay, you just said you said something which isn't which isn't quite right. We all had the same. We didn't, well, because despite the fact that the UK is a very small geographic space compared to the US, obviously, yeah, the range of accents across the UK is varied. There's a lot, I and mean, you, you know, northern accents, and that's not a Scottish accent, even though that's even further to the north than nor- a northern accent. Yeah, um, you know, if you. Um, if you're a fan of, of, of British television, then you get a wide range. You get Scouse accents. You get uh, you know, Cockney. If Cockney. If you ever watched the East Enders um, or, or Monty Python or uh, Monty Python played a lot with accents. Um, but the accent that most villains get is the very proper upper crust mm-hmm. uh, Queen's English um that uh you know your which is which is again what you get when you think of the newscaster newscasting side of things. That's your BBC English. Yeah. Right? It's the very um uh, uh proper everything is everything is pronounced just so.
1: Peter but Cushing here's, Grandma yeah. Tarkin. I mean that's 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 a perfect example of that.
0: Right. Or Anthony Hopkins and you know, um uh uh Peter uh, uh, Christopher Lee, uh, Jeremy Irons. These, you know, it's this very, and and this is an accent that's actually taught in theater schools. So if you come from the North or Ireland or Wales, and you go into like RADA, the the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, they teach you how to talk, mm-hmm. because when you go out on stage. You're probably hopefully playing that, you know, on the on the London stage, and people have paid very good money <laughs> <laughs> to come see your show.
1: Well, it reminds uh, me of, of when you when you look at David Tennant's performance as the Tenth Doctor, because David Tennant does not sound like the Tenth Doctor when it's just David Tennant. His he's got right because he's very Scottish. Actress. He's Scottish, and it's it's interesting because people talk about. Uh, Peter Capaldi keeping his Scottish accent and not sounding British. So, so those kind of things do get noticed on occasion.
0: Well, or, or, or uh, Eccleson's, You know, a lot of planets have it north. Yeah, <laughs> because he was he was letting his own northern accents come in. Um, the the flip side of that really proper British accent, um, because that because. It, there's a mindset and and it's been played up um that that is an educated person who speaks like that right they've got the education yeah. they've got the intelligence it's the idea that this is um well, the upper the upper class the right? refined the refined people yeah. okay so on one hand you've got that and so consequently you tend to think of that kind of accent as somebody with authority, somebody with, um, you know, uh, um, intelligence. The flip side is that it also turns out, according to linguists, (laughs) it's an easy accent to distrust. Sure. And some of that probably comes from the fact that the British aristocracy or and and the the upper crust of, of of England has not always.
1: I I would say that that's probably applicable to aristocracy, upper crust in various different countries.
0: Sure, but also bear in mind that one of the things that we are um, dealing with when it comes to to the British accent is the fact that for relatively recently they were one of the most powerful countries yes the sun never in the sets world. on the british empire and well, when you consider that that how much of that has has been built into our entertainment yeah. literature our, our 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 tv and our movies from the invention of tv and movies
1: yeah that reminds me did you see the news about barbados Mm-mm. I didn't even know this. Barbados apparently has been a it was a it is a British colony, and I believe today they had their ceremony to remove Queen Elizabeth as their head of state Ooh. and installed a new president, and they are now the Republic of Barbados. Prince Charles was there, gave a speech, and uh, and all that. So apparently, this is something that has. Uh, It has not happened since, I think there's been some like 20 some odd years since this has happened. It doesn't happen a lot. Let me me switch this picture here just to see if I can get this back. I don't know what's going on with the internet. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting on that. I didn't know that they could do that and sit there and say, You're not our head of state anymore.
0: Well, sure, and you. part of that some some of this stuff ends up being very traditional. I mean, there's, as I recall, Robert uh, says
1: the Queen is head of state of 26 sovereign nations.
0: Yeah, I mean, but but of course, it's a very much a distant head of state. Mm-hmm. There, you know, it's it's very much a ceremonial uh, yeah. um, role. But it's really fascinating how you end up with some of these iconic characters, especially in genre fiction, Mm -hmm. um, where the villain is this very controlled and refined British, even when that, even when they're playing a different nationality, (laughs) right? So, and, and interestingly enough, as I was looking at this, um, one of the great, just monstrous villains of, of cinema, um, um, character in Schindler's list, Mm. not a genre film story, you know, uh, um, mm, not a terribly accurate adaptation of Oscar Schindler's life, but a very good movie. Um, and his villain his his nazi ca- uh commander is just one of the most horrific very human villains um and rafe Fien- you know rafe fines of course extremely well known for playing uh you know he's got that very refined look to him as well he's got a great you know he's a you know he was very uh standardly handsome when it comes to to being a movie star kind of thing and he really plays up the ugliness that he can bring out with the with a performance in that role but the british have been playing nazis for a long time (laughs) and interestingly enough there's a lot of british people british actors who are like we're not the bad guys could you <laughs> please stop
1: <laughs> Well I mean you look back and I mean even even when you look at something like <clears throat> like Dr. No for example, where you have this very British James Bond I mean, yes uh, Sean Connery was not British he's Scottish but you have Dr. No who no, no, isn't supposed to be British.
0: A, he's not English.
1: Well, okay. What, Great Britain
0: he... includes, yeah, yeah. okay. Low, okay, yeah.
1: I is he Welsh? Is he Welsh? No, no, he's Scottish.
0: No, he's Scottish, he's Scottish but but remember, uh, you know, <clears throat> for the folks at home who 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 don't somehow manage to miss this, the
1: United Kingdom is Britain and Scotland, right? Well,
0: the United Kingdom is, is Britain, Scotland, or, I'm sorry, England, Scotland, Wales, <clears throat> and a portion of Ireland.
1: Okay. So anyway, so Doctor No, Doctor No is not supposed to be a British villain, but I think is played by a British guy. Doctor No is supposed to be Asian, I believe, is, is how the character was originally written in the book. And that actually kind of has me thinking because uh, over the weekend, you know, uh, a couple last week before last, we interviewed George Peter Gatz's and he talked about what he does over on his channel, the, the, um, oh, of course, now that I've done, du- you know, my, all of things have died here. The super fun happy hour serial where Friday nights he gets a panel of people together and they watch an old movie serial. And we've been watching the, the very first Batman from 1943 starring Lewis Wilson. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I'm going through and I'm looking at the the uh, the trivia on it on IMDb uh, in in order to sound smart. And the the villain in that serial was supposed to be the Joker. <clears throat> and. 1943 being 1943, there's this uptick of patriotic fervor, if you will. And, you know, that whole thing where Hollywood uh, joins the cause and, and, you know, gets their rah-rah everywhere they can get it. And so mm-hmm. the Joker ended up becoming Doctor, I can't remember the name, but uh, turned in, they turned him into a Japanese villain. And you go back and you look at uh, the original Buck Rogers story, Armageddon 2419 or 2491, where the villain in that movie or the villain in that original story were the Chinese, the Hans,
0: right? Uh, with with some very definite shades of yellow peril. Going well,
1: on. right. and That's what I'm saying is because the British have not always been the villain just right. by default because there have been those periods of time because... Even if you go back and you look at Ming the Merciless, this is where it converges here because in 1980 in that movie, you have Ming the Merciless, who is supposedly you know modeled after the the Asian yellow peril villains, but played by Max von Sydow, who's not Asian, he's British, right? <laughs> so, it's, well, if we have a bad guy, he must be played by a British.
0: It's well, really and funny. interestingly enough. Um you can you can see where these things kind of work in certain circumstances and others not so much yeah and and to some degree this has played into stuff with the with the MCU recently because of course with movie bringing in characters like the mandarin um, and and the whole question of leaning into a character who in his original appearances was very much a cultural stereotype Sure, and right. very much a riffing of Fu Manchu um, from the uh, Max Romer, Max Romer um, uh, stories which were in themselves very yellow Peril. ooh, the mysterious Orient yes And I mean this is this is very much a thing that that, that you ended up having and a lot of villainy in some in, in a lot of these er, these kinds of stories. Have to do with with the other right and that's of course that's that's a basic breakdown in terms of of villainy and in you know something scary that you don't understand and because we didn't have that much exposure to you know uh far eastern culture you know chinese culture japanese culture uh, indonesian culture etc you didn't have the it was really really easy to sit there and say and then they do this, Hmm. you know, it was like like with that. And it was deepest, darkest Africa and all these things, or it's like, you know, anything could happen with these people. You don't understand who look different than you.
1: Yeah. And, and it does, it does kind of follow, you know, because, you know, we've talked about the fact of how stories are a product of their time and, and that sort of thing. And you, and you get sort of this microcosm of what the culture was like during those times in the '40s and the mm-hmm. '50s and whenever, and I would I would wonder. Uh, I'm I'm going to posit uh, a notion here that perhaps the the pendulum has swung the other way almost because you had this period of time, and I think we're I I think we're coming out of it, maybe. But you had this period of time where Hollywood was criticized very much and very often, and, and Disney especially for kowtowing to the Chinese. We're gonna do things and put in scenes or take out scenes and alter these things in order to, you know, satisfy the, the Chinese Communist Party, the censoring all of the all of the media that goes in. And you know, the the ancient one is a good example of that. Hmm. being that the ancient one is supposed to be from Tibet. But in China, you don't mention Tibet because it's verboten to talk about Tibet in China. And so, you know, and now you look back in the 40s, Hollywood with the yellow peril and all of this, but now it almost seems like we've come full circle where Hollywood gets criticized now for capitulating to a particular market. Now, not necessarily the fact that it's the Chinese communist party, which, you know, that's the, that's a big factor, but the fact that you're altering your product for a specific market because of politics, not because of anything else. Well, and we don't no, get that with I, the no, British. No, 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 no,
0: no there, I think, I think we, again, re, a reminder here, folks, Hollywood is a business. Yes, and it's one hundred percent. And and guess what? It always has been. It's 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 there to make money. If it if <laughs> if the making money aligns with uh, the patriotism of of the country, great. But if making money involves selling to this gigantic audience that Chinese the Chinese theater going. Audience is, yeah. Folks, I I, I I I want so much to say that when it comes to our entertainment, art matters. But that's not true. It's a business. As long as Hollywood can make a buck, it's incredibly mercenary, <laughs> and it's a it's a, it's produced some amazing entertainment, but with something like with something as long as as long as China has got the potential to generate that as much money as it does for Hollywood yeah you're going to see the studios look at that and go well if we gotta play if we're gonna play there, then we have to do dot dot dot. Yeah, and that's just I, the sad reality of the sad reality of the world.
1: Well, and I wonder if that maybe is one of the true. reasons why we continue to have British villains because, you know, it's safe.
0: Well, to some degree it is safe, but it's also um you can you come back to those psychological factors. Yeah, you come back to the historical factor of, of a U.S. audience because because a British so much of this is targeted through American cinema, right? It's it outside of the of the colonies <laughs> um, or the or the ex-colonies. Yeah, it doesn't have that same actual impact unless they've had the you know they were. Either a, a part of the British Empire, or invaded by the British Empire, or right. shot at by the British Empire, <laughs> or well, and you look at how many said about their mother by the by the British Empire. How
1: many how many countries around the world have had that kind of thing in their history? I mean, you look at you know Robert Mitchell's Australia and Canada. I mean, you have uh, you know like we said the the sun never sets on the British Empire. At one point. They were all around the world, right. and But but then and you
0: but you get into you get into something like, um, Japan or or Russia, some of these places where they may have been in conflict with with the British Empire at some point, mm-hmm. but they never really had the British Empire as their rulers, right? Because uh, that the biggest time where the British Empire was you know, uh, a force to be reckoned with his, you know, militarily, the Russians, you know, the, the, the SARS were doing just
1: fine. Well, you know, and, was, and there it, was a time, uh, you, you know, especially in the eighties here where the bad guys were the, were the Russians. I mean, you had, you yeah. know, you look at Rocky, uh, Rocky four and, you know, well, it's, Dolph all cold war. it's all cold war stuff. Yep. So it's definitely a sign of the times, but it, it but it does seem like we cycle back to British villains more easily than others. I mean, you you get all of these examples like, you know, we mentioned Grand Moff Tarkin and you know, um you, as much as I hate to invoke the the Harry Potter stuff. I mean, you've got I mean, granted, all of them are British, so you're you're kind of stuck there. But the the various different examples, uh, I think in um, in the first Die Hard, you know, he he's charming and gentlemanly, and he's gonna shoot your brains out, you know. It's it's that kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know. It just, I guess maybe maybe it is a a, a colonial us versus them kind of thing. Maybe it is a a. a Collective history playing into that.
0: Well, not only that, for American audiences, it's a bit of the uncanny valley in an in an oral sense, right? Because yeah. we say certain words a certain way,
1: <laughs>
0: and they say those words differently. Yeah, a lift, a boot, um, the telly, aluminium. Um, Lieutenant Lieutenant. And, but it's close. It's really close. It's so you have this thing where it's, they look like us. They sound almost like us, but they're different enough to be, again, we come back to the other. Right. And it's, and the thing is, 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 and I went looking, we had, I, I, I think I mentioned on either the last episode or the previous one, I'd found that that thread on Twitter About the uncanny research into the uncanny Valley. And now I can't find it. I went looking for it today and I can't find the thread. Uh, It's there. It's just a matter of tracking it down. But there's something about the, um, the idea of things that are almost, right? Yeah. Almost like me, almost like you, almost like, you know, almost like us. And the almost part can make people uncomfortable. And one of the ways of making a villain is to make them the other. And because, of course, that's just, you know, humanity and the other has got a long history. Uh, And that can be others of, you know, whether it's uh, sex or country or, you know, down the list. Somebody who's not you. Anybody who's not you. Right. By default, the entire world is the other. Um, But you end up with this thing that's almost... You know, it's that you're speaking the same language, but it sounds
1: different. Yeah.
0: And not to mention British villains give great sneer.
1: I think the other part of it, too, is sometimes I guess that that British villains have this veneer of civilized you know I, I they're they're articulate and they're genteel and they're going to be polite they're almost overly polite until they cut off your fingers you know that kind of thing where you have this uh, shark type of thing where you know it's pretty. And it's refined and dignified until they do something very, very terrible, and then it's you know, oh god, oh god, my eyes, my eyes. So.
0: Well, but it's also a sense of they're very controlled. Yes, it's yes. A, that's that, a lot that of stereotype power of the... that's
1: just contained in that package. You got the re- you got the stereotype
0: of the reserved Englishman, yeah. right? Yeah. My my emotions are very controlled and calm, which makes it worse because it's not like they're doing, they're they're not killing you out of a sense of passion. They're killing you because you're in the way.
1: You know, I, that makes me think there's, there's times and I've, I've found myself in these particular situations more frequently than I'd like to admit. But when, when you get into arguments And arguments tend to get loud with some people, depending on who you're arguing with. And there are some people who are more dangerous. You start to realize they're more dangerous the quieter they get and the more controlled they get. And maybe there's something there as well, psychologically, where... The danger is building inside where you don't see it. And with a British villain, it's very easy to hide that and contain that behind that very calm, collected, you know, the joke is that the the, the British never never show any emotions or something, right? And there it's always you know, still waters, you know.
0: And by the way, this is this is a complete stereotype. It right? is. This yes. Is, this yes. is this is this is you know you you this is something that's been going on for a long time. The idea that, of course, you've got these very prim and, prim and proper British, they have got just as every range of folks who are incredibly controlled to folks who are incredibly emotional as what's anything that? you can find in the U.S.
1: What's that? What's that <laughs> lyric from Pink Floyd was talking about how the British are? with their with their sense of humor i want to say it's from the wall but i can't remember right off the top of my head because oh, it just now it, it just now popped into my head that that they had they had something in there there's there
0: used to be a thing that there at various points there have been discussions about the you know the british in the 1800s and how they were so just sexually repressed it's like oh british historians are like no no, we were just as filthy then as any other time in <laughs> in, in in history. Because it, but it, but it's perception, and I think so much of that builds into because, well, and and for film and television and radio, you know, the you're you're always playing with a kind of shorthand. You only have so much time to tell your story, and yeah. so consequently, you either tell shorthand with your script or you tell do shorthand with your visuals or your casting. And because you've got these sort of built-in expectations of of British characters, you can have um uh you bring in a British villain uh and you've gone halfway to the point of going, aha, he's <laughs> very calm and collected. Clearly he's going to murder me. Um, but interestingly, when you when you consider how some of these these accents work, Brian Cox, Anthony Hopkins, both no. of them are British actors, but they tend to play very different kinds of British villain. Um, and it or or say um, watching a show like, uh, uh, oh, well, okay. Uh, something like Peaky Blinders or Dr. Who or, uh, Red Dwarf or, uh, Ultraviolet, not the, not the, the bad, uh, not the bad Mila Jovovich movie, but the really fantastic <laughs> British, uh, miniseries, um, or, I would also about vampires. Uh, uh no yeah uh, the british show is about vampires um or listen to say idris elba versus say um oh i just do a complete blank uh uh, tom hardy right 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 the the different kinds of sound um really kind of and you know tom hardy feels like a bruiser as a of, of a villain and of yeah. course he's played, he's played bruisers, big you know, big tough guys, you know, Idris Elba. Um, well, of course, one of his greatest genre roles is, is uh, actually in the detective genre with Luther, um, which has a, you know, there's this, there's this doggedness to the type of cop that he's playing in that role that really comes through with the way he uses his voice, but he can clearly use his voice in different ways because he's done it throughout his career. Um, you know, the characters that you get in something like Suicide Squad, right? Mm-hmm. Very different than the character you get in Luther. Um so it's,
1: well you have guess, you know, even even then you you listen to something that you know, Idris Elba in Pacific Rim, you know, because there's that rough edge To some accents, Um, I mean, you you look at you mentioned Red Dwarf. When you have the various different mix of accents there, you know the hologram sounds very different from the working stiff. Mm -hmm. You know because he's you know it's like you say it's that contained, refined upper crust type of accent versus the guy who's you know the janitor. and and talks a completely different way. And it is almost a shorthand, almost, because it says something about the character that you just kind of automatically make those connections just simply because this is what we're used to. Right. You know, and even even with American accents, you know, the Ivy League versus Georgia you know the mm-hmm. deep south as it were uh, you know the 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 new england massachusetts connecticut maine you know that that kind of thing boston versus uh, texas i mean there's you talk about it before with all of the different dialects that we have here And you associate a certain type of person based on what they sound like Mm -hmm. a lot of times. And and we probably do it more often than we probably should, but it happens. I can't find this Pink Floyd song. I want to say it's Pink Floyd. Now that's going to bug me. That's going to bug me (laughs) until I find it. Because I don't know these songs very well by the names of the songs, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh. Well, and I think that you end up with uh, a certain amount of shorthand, obviously with these American accents where you get like a New York accent. You can, it's very easy to sit there and think mob. Yeah. Right. New, New York, Chicago, um, you know, California, California accent, it's like beach bum, surfer, you know. I mean, there's a um, you know, or Silicon Valley. You think you know, uh, uh, you know, tech billionaire. You know, mm-hmm. Florida, uh, uh, Louisiana. You're gonna end up. It's, oh yeah, it's the really, Cajun. You can, you can setting horror in the South, and some of that comes out of the fact that some of the earliest real um i mean certainly while you know things started on in the in the northeast uh, there's so much cultural blending um mm-hmm. in in the southern states especially in the there's so much history that you can pull from yeah and you have so many so much um uh, south american and african influence come in uh, to a lot of the southern states that well, you end up with these like really rich uh, 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 myth stuff and 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 f- uh, folktale things that you can pull from yeah uh,
1: well I think the stories. other thing too for horror stories in the south you also have the dichotomy of the and and again we're playing with stereotypes this southern hospitality. You know, type oh, yeah. of thing where you know everybody comes in to grandma's house and we all have sweet tea and lemonade on the porch and we have, you know, uh, she's got apple pie in the window and and everybody comes over for dinner and there's this big this big la right? As mm-hmm. as Mrs. Boss would say, uh, but there you have that as the setup and that would be a good place where you have the the horror that comes out of that because it's not something sure. that you expect. And I think too with with villains if you have someone and it doesn't necessarily have to be a british villain but if you have the villain who is disguised as the one you're getting along with the one who's going to help you uh, you look at uh, the first wonder woman movie with gal gadot for example where you have mm-hmm. the the british the british spy officer who ends up being uh, it's a hades her, her- hermes I got yeah. aries 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 mm-hmm. got a war aries but he's very unassuming british He's helpful. He's cooperative. You know, he's going to do whatever he can to to put you on your way and, and, you know, give you resources. But Mm -hmm. he's the villain. He's he turns out he's he's a very terrible person. And I think that that flip also adds to certain villainous characters where, oh, this is the bad guy. Oh <laughs> you know they,
0: they seem so pleasant and so polite. How yeah. can they be so
1: monstrous? Now I mentioned I mentioned um I think that's one of the reasons why Tim Curry does really well as a villain. When, oh, yes. Whenever well, he's, he's whenever he's played that, because you know, again we get into comedy and horror where you can just flip that switch. You know? Well,
0: and he does it like a bazillion times back and forth, like in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, where one minute he's very funny, and one minute, and then the next minute he's just like, yeah, <laughs> he's all nightmare fuel. Uh, I mentioned I mentioned Brian Cox and Anthony Hopkins, and so these are two British actors who are often known for very playing very different kinds of British villains. And one of those was when they played this, they played the same character. They both played Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. And so the the, the film Manhunter, Brian Cox actually originated the role of Hannibal Lecter on screen in Manhunter. And his Hannibal Lecter is a very different kind of evil than anthony hopkins charmer hmm. anthony hopkins uh, hannibal lecter is he's, hello clarice but he's almost like a teacher
1: yeah yeah i can see you know that.
0: he's almost he, he's he's instructing her he's he's shaping her he's you know manipulating her But Brian Cox and and, and his Hannibal Lecter doesn't appear uh, in the film anywhere near as much. It's not a gigantic part of the Manhunter story. He's not the main villain. Spoiler alert for a movie that came out in (laughs) 1980. (laughs) Um, 1986. Uh, But his Hannibal Lecter is very evil and he comes across as evil and there's a lot less refinement in the way he plays the role, he plays him as a much rougher, uh, uh, less appealing character. Still, still incredibly intelligent, but much more obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The well, no, they're both they they're both obviously evil, but it's it's a much less refined evil. His is it's a, a much his, it's more, a more
1: monstrous evil,
0: and it's much He's, more visible. I mean, it's yeah. much more. You know the it's a the, visceral
1: type of evil
0: yeah the performance and the performance is is very much you know the the sex appeal and let's and let's be honest folks there's a lot of there were a lot of people who thought Anthony Hopkins was like <laughs> you know um and and because quite frankly when it comes to our storytelling even evil is often sexy.
1: Yeah, there's there's an attraction to the to the forbidden,
0: because you have this you know you villains get to do what they want.
1: Yeah, it's like Nobody... it's like blondes have have more fun. Can you imagine? See, that's why blonde villains are even worse, because it's it compounds with interest there. Uh, Christopher asked, "Do you think it's a subconscious bias with the controlled, educated, distrustful English villain versus the more action-oriented machismo of the American hero? Maybe there's something to that because the the good guys, I, I, you know, outside of James Bond and the Harry Potter crowd, um, and." Charles Xavier. There really aren't that many British good guys. You have you have Patrick Mcnee from the from the Avengers. You know John Steed. Um, But there aren't that many British heroes, at least not here. And and again, we're playing. We're looking at the Hollywood market and and how that influences everywhere else because in the UK everybody's british i mean you're your heroes and your villains both and it, but i think it's more the export over to here where you get that kind of thing maybe
0: i think there's also a certain amount of the the idea that the emotion it, it, being in touch with your emotions versus being having your emotions being repressed. Hmm. And and so, yeah, there's a certain amount of, you know, American heroes, they know how they feel. And then there's British villains <laughs> who, you know, they don't feel anything. Right. And, and again, but again, it comes down to that, that shorthand that you get in storytelling where you are trying to very, very quickly. I mean, how, how fast do you know that Alan Rickman is the bad guy in Die Hard? He shows up and he's very polite. He's standing there looking all very calm and collected in front of the, uh, in front of the crowd of people. And he's just threatened all their lives. But he's so very polite. Right. He's so pleasant, and you just know he's a monster. <laughs> right? You know, five seconds with five seconds. No, you just you do. not Anthony Hopkins doesn't even have to talk when you see him.
1: Right? Now, yeah, it's the way he's standing when they first reveal him in the cell. It, yeah,
0: look at yeah. look at the way that uh, the eyes move on at uh, Peter Cushing in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Just just watch his eyes alone. In fact, there's so many great British actors playing the. The Empire. Well, and, and again, shorthand here. Yeah. Lucas used it very well. The Empire is cast. You know, the the cast of. Of course, they also shot it in England. Yeah, but, <laughs> that,
1: that's the other thing that, that helped. Yeah. But
0: our our villains are the, the 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 when we see the the military, the the upper crust of the Empire's military structure, it's British men consequently we and so all of a sudden you know all right so so here's the empire and our heroes are american
1: (laughs) yeah and and they're and they're rough and tumble americans they're you know they're the rowdy bunch
0: so yeah i think it it you the the shorthand again where you just like okay we know we know how this goes we know we know who the good guys and the bad guys are yeah um but again if you're if you're a a british actor it's kind of like but I'm a nice person. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you look at... I haven't uh, killed anybody this week. Ian McKellen, as, as Magneto, I mean, Magneto does some pretty... You know, depending on which Magneto we're talking about and, and what stories they're telling, Magneto can be a, a pretty formidable villain.
0: Well, and, sure, he's, but no, and he's no very polite, came, very
1: came. refined, and very controlled, and you know, it, it, it's it's all just kind of simmering underneath. You just know it's there, and I think this kind of goes back to what Hitchcock talked about when he when he talks about the audience filling in the blanks. Mm-hmm. You don't put everything on the screen. You let the audience meet you halfway, and when it, especially when it came came to horror or any kind of suspense thriller thing anything he says the you know the audience's imagination can scare them much better than i can because you let their you let their imaginations run away with them and you just you just provide the the pieces and it's they the greatest they special do effects everything engine else. in the universe
0: yeah you know, interesting, uh, uh, you have a really, really incredible actor playing Magneto, uh, a character who is not English. Right. And yet has a perfect British accent, <laughs> uh, despite the fact that he, he's uh, German. He's, yeah, he's, you know,
1: well, but, I, you know, know Pat- I mean, and, and- Patrick Stewart playing Jean-Luc Picard. He doesn't, he's not a French bone in his body. With just the
0: occasional hint <laughs> of a French accent for specific words.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, you know, and, and I think some of it, some of it actually comes out of, I think, the fact that they do teach British actors how to speak in really, a really varied way. Mm-hmm as as one act when uh, british actor quite famously put it unlike some other robin hoods i can speak with an english <laughs> accent right and that was a british actor who has done some pretty solid american accents and a lot of british actors not all there are a few exceptions can do really convincing american accents uh hugh Laurie, of course rather famously right. when he auditioned for house didn't tell them he was British and just used an American accent. And they were unfamiliar. While, while he certainly was very famous in the UK and had been for quite some time, he wasn't necessarily that well-known over here. And the people who cast him did not realize he was not <laughs> American.
1: Well, uh, over he was here... <laughs> I think really over here, up until that point, really the only thing that anybody would have seen him in would have been if they were paying attention to PBS, Black Adder. And yeah, then you've I got mean, the, you, you know, he was he was the dad in Stuart Little. Right.
0: These are, these are things that you would not necessarily know if you were yeah. not a, a fan of British... But again, we also have something that, that is very strong in British entertainment that crossover between film television and stage Mm -hmm, is much more fluid and it's 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 becoming that way here the the distinction between movie star and tv star right right has blurred a lot
1: well i think you can you can also mix in streaming with that and Mm -hmm. animation to a point but not, I don't think it's quite there yet, where people are going back and forth. but we do have quite a few recognizable names now showing up in animation. I mean, it's not just Mark Hamill that's over there doing it now. Yeah. Um, you have You have some, you know quite a quite a respectable stable of actors that are that are in animation who also do film and TV. But you also have, you know, like you were talking about the the British playing Americans. You I mean, you've got Henry Cavill, you've got Tom Holland, Andrew Garfield, uh, you know, how many of our uh, uh, Christian Bale and you Benedict know,
0: Cumberbatch Benedict doing
1: Cumberbatch, all of these, all of these British performers playing Americans.
0: Well, and, and the thing is, is that in many cases, they're. Playing British, uh, but Americans. they're playing the
1: good guys, so they're using American accents. <laughs>
0: well, okay, but you know, for for however however you feel about um the the more the Star Trek recent Star Trek movies, mm. you have someone like Cumberbatch playing Khan, and it's very much that sort of stock British villain in many ways.
1: Yeah. Still a dumb idea,
0: but well, and, (laughs) and it's, uh, and yet it's not your standard complete British accent that he has done. And when he's just using his own natural voice, um, and, it's just, it's, it's really fascinating. Uh, I, I love the fact that there've actually been like linguistic studies on this (laughs) (laughs) that people are like, well, yeah, this happens all the time. Why do we do this? (laughs) I love that. We Um,
1: should, we should probably link to some of those studies at some point and share them out. I, uh,
0: I will, I will see. I I just had my, my browser just crashed. I'm very pleased. I I guess it's, it's going to be one of those nights. Yeah. Um, my Zoom call is still going, but the browser just crashed. Crashed. So um, if I can get that to come back up, because <laughs> it's not coming back up, that's great. Um, I actually have a, uh, I actually had a page up uh, that had a, at least a couple of links to some of the linguistic discussions.
1: Well, it'll be in your history. So uh, yeah, you ought to be able to find the, it. Well, I've had a couple of red lights flash here on me, so uh, I think we probably better cut our losses. And uh, the
0: application Firefox cannot be launched. Oh, oh that's great!
1: <laughs> You'll probably have to reboot the computer altogether.
0: I'll have to reboot it. Yeah,
1: yeah, all right. Well, yeah, on yeah, that I'll, note, uh,
0: I'll, I'll pull these up.
1: All right. So we'll share that out on our socials. Uh, so uh, follow us over there and in, in the social media, and we will post uh, some follow-up links so you can see that uh, that linguistic study of the British villain. And uh, in the meantime, if you've got some of your favorite British villains or some of your favorite other villains, uh, you can always let us know with a comment or an email, h20 at sci fi for com. And, uh, yeah, uh, I heard Robert talking earlier about uh, missing the steampunk episode that we did on Live from the Bunker this morning. Uh, go back and listen to that. We talked to uh, a gentleman from Amsterdam. Uh, Bosker. Uh, I knew I was gonna get this thing. Bon- <sighs> Bonstel Bokel. I think is. Uh, I've 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 ruined it. I know. Um. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we talked, we talked today about uh, his steampunk, uh, projects. So uh, go check that out. Uh, over there live from the bunker. Uh, Bonsart Bokel. Was is, is his name. And, and he's got uh, it was some interesting stuff over there. I think you might enjoy some of it, Tim. It's it's kind of like Sherlock Holmes written by H.P. Lovecraft. Well, that it's, could be uh, fun. Some interesting stuff. Alright, so that's going to do it for us. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. If you are new to the channel, we do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on. Uh, we just dropped over the weekend a brand new foreign bodies. speaking of horror, uh, Mr. Harvey and Leslie Walker uh, in, J- did we do Japan on Saturday? Yeah, we did. We did yeah. we mm-hmm. did Japan on Saturday. We'll do Japan again.
0: Japan, yeah. Japan part one. Part one.
1: So go check that out. And of course, every Saturday morning, we have uh, all of the week's headlines on Good Morning Multiverse, And uh, we will be back with more here on the H2O podcast next Monday night. I think we've got an idea of a couple of things we're going to talk about. So uh, we'll see you for that. In the meantime, uh, check out the rest of our videos. Find us on Odyssey. Follow us over there. And uh, we'll be back later. Have a good night, everyone. Good night, guys. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.